listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Today, we continue our series that is going to lead us into Easter week, and we're studying the journey of, of the life of Jesus from the, from the cradle all the way to the cross. And last week, we looked at how a small-town kid from Nazareth, a son of a carpenter, top of his class at the synagogue, how did that kid end up on a criminal's cross as an adult? And it can leave you scratching your head, but, but the answer was it, was, it was the Father's business. It was his love for people. That's, that's why Jesus went to the cross. That's what put him on the cross, was his love for people. Um, and one of the things that, that I stressed to you last week is that Jesus did not allow the circumstances surrounding his birth. They were less than ideal, extremely humble circumstances. Um, he did not let those circumstances dictate his future. And, and so I, I, I want to just once again reiterate to everyone in this room, it doesn't matter what, what you come from, what the DNA looks like uh, of your family lineage. God wants to do something, and I refuse to allow our DNA, I refuse to allow our humble beginnings, whatever that looks like, I refuse to allow that to dictate your future. Amen? Amen. Now last week, I briefly mentioned that after Jesus at the temple at 12 years old, we really don't get any information about his life for the next 18 years uh, until the age of around 30. And, and that's when he was baptized by his rabbi cousin, John, also known as John the Baptist. Today, we're going to pick up where, where we left off. And uh, I'm going to be reading from the book of Matthew today. I'll be there in just a few moments. Um, but <clears throat> the only certainty that we know Excuse me. The only certainty that we know about the, his, his life during those 18 years is, is this, and, and it's, it's right at the end of Jesus at 12 at the temple. We read it last week. The only certainty is Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. That's it. That's all we know. That's all we know for certain is that Jesus grew in wisdom, and he grew in stature, so he grew taller. He grew, you know, he, he matured as an adult. And he grew in favor with God and with men. I think, I think that's important. I can assure you, though, that during those two decades, Jesus was being prepared for what he must do. During those two decades, Jesus was being prepared for his calling. Uh, he was most likely earning a living as a carpenter. I read to you a scripture last week where they called him the carpenter. Is that not the carpenter, the son of Joseph and Mary? And so we, we know that he was a carpenter. But he was studying at the synagogue during those 18 years to, to be a rabbi. He was studying to be a rabbi. He was going to be a certified rabbi. A, a rabbi was a teacher of, of the Torah or, or a teacher of the law. It, it's not a position that you would just fall into. It, it, it's important to note that rabbis and priests... They were different from one another. And, and for the sake of the, this foundation that I'm laying for us today, you've got to realize the difference between a rabbi and a priest. <clears throat> Priests were descendants of Aaron from the tribe of Levi. And, and they worked at the temple in Jerusalem. It was a full-time job for them. This, this is what they did. They were not bivocational. It was a vocational calling on their life, and they worked at the temple. A rabbi, however worked out of the local synagogue. A synagogue was, was a, a school. Remember this, this is, and, and, and this, this really, really, where, where God's leading me today, 
I'm telling you, you have to understand this. The synagogue, which was their, their Jewish school, it was religious because they did not have a separation of church and state. I'm going to say that again. They did not have a separation of church and state. I, it's, it's part of the problem with America today. I know, I know for some of you think, no, 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 this is a good thing. Separation of church and state, it's a good thing. It protects us. Now, I'm telling you, the problem with America today is a separation of church and state. Because here's the deal. My worldview is based on the word of God. The way I see life and the way that we as believers see life, or at least should see life, is based on the word of God. Therefore, I cannot separate my worldview from the Bible. I cannot separate my politics from the Bible. It has to be based biblically. And, 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 and what, what you have to understand about first century Jews is that the synagogue was a place of learning, but their educational system revolved around their religious system also. And so a rabbi would work out of the local synagogue and was not required to, or, or to belong to a particular family or a particular tribe. Um, they often earned money on the side to support their ministry calling. So many of the rabbis were bivocational. They also had a very distinct theological difference. The, 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 let, let, let me say it like this. Most priests were members of the Sadducees. Most rabbis were members of the Pharisees. <clears throat> Together, they made up the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling body of the Jews. Um, they were the religious court. And so together, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees together, they are the ones that would eventually crucify Christ. They're the ones that would come to the decision to eventually crucify Christ. One key theological difference was in the belief of the resurrection of the dead. And this is important. It was the difference of, of the resurrection of the dead and how they believed it. Because the Sadducees, made up of priests, said that there would not be a resurrection of the dead. The priests did not buy into that. There's not a resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees, however, made up of rabbis, said that there would be a resurrection of the dead. It's, it's interesting that the Quran, the, the central religious text of Islam, nobody get freaked out right now, I'm not teaching Islam, okay, but, but it's important for you to see this. The Quran lays claim that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a distant sister of Aaron, is how it refers to her. That Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a, a distant sister of Aaron. In other words, Muslims try and make the claim that Jesus was a descendant of Aaron. And, and this would therefore make him eligible to be a priest. But remember now that priests did not buy into the belief of resurrection. And, uh, and of course, Islam would, would push this because they want to eliminate the deity of Christ. You hear me? They want to eliminate the deity of Christ, that, that Jesus, what, that they will refer to him, oh, he was a prophet of God. As a matter of fact, they, the, Islam reduced Jesus to, to a prophet that prepared the way for Muhammad is what they teach. I, I hope you stay with me. I promise you we're going somewhere with this. They said Jesus was a prophet that prepared the way for Muhammad. The Bible, which is, which is our truth, the Bible lays no such claim. The Bible actually says that John the Baptist, a descendant of Aaron, prepared the way for Jesus. Jesus was a descendant from the tribe of Judah, 
and would have to take the route of rabbi because the resurrection of the dead would be a major part of his ministry. How many believe that? I mean, you, you agree with that, right? Uh, the resurrection is a major part of his ministry. We know this, that Jesus raised the widow of Nain's son. Resurrection. If a rabbi, he, he, you know, he has to be a rabbi in order for that to happen. He resurrected Jairus' daughter. He, he, Jesus raised Lazarus, his, one of his good friends. He raised him from the dead. At his death on the cross, Matthew 27 says that many saints, at the moment Jesus died on the cross, it says that many saints rose from the dead and walked around Jerusalem. There's a lot of people who don't know that's in the Bible. It's there. It says that at the moment Jesus died on the cross, that the resurrection power was so strong that, that at that moment that he died, there were saints that came to life, came out of their, their graves, and they walked around. There were witnesses that saw them walking around the streets of Jerusalem. For years, Jesus studied at the synagogue, at, at advancing in his education. And I can assure you that part of that was, was the resurrection of the dead because even Jesus himself was raised from the dead on the third day. And so he studied this. He, he knew the scriptures. Now, now I don't have time today. Um, I, I've taught it before. I'm going to try and make this part really quick because I don't want to rehash it and I really don't have time. But, but there's three levels of education to become a rabbi that Jesus would have had to walk through. The first level is called the, the Bet Sefer. The Bet Sefer. And from the ages of 6 through 12, the Jewish boys would begin their education in the synagogue school, and they were learning how to read and write. However, their textbook was the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. The Torah was their textbook. Again, no separation of church and state. The Torah was their textbook, first five books of the Bible, and their goal. Here's what they wanted. They're star students. They wanted to see who can memorize the Torah, who can memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Who can commit that to memory? And if you could do that, ages 6 through 12, if you could do that, if you could memorize the Torah, then you could advance on to the next stage of, of, of ministry. Now, the Babylonian Talmud said, before the age of 6, do not accept pupils. From that age, you can accept them. And I love this part. It says, and stuff them with Torah like an ox. Like cram it down their throats. Parents, you better listen to me. And, and listen, if you don't want me to tell you how to parent today, you might as well get up and walk out of the room. I'm tired. I already admitted this. I'm tired. It's been a busy week. And, and I, I, I lost an hour of sleep last night, as did you. And I'm, I just don't have patience for it today. So I'm just going to let it out, okay? It's coming. It's, I'm warning you, if you don't want to know, you better leave, okay? Parents, it's time that we get back. We get back to the basics of Christianity, and we need to start stuffing the Word of God down their throats like an ox, we need to get back to, it. like, it's not a choice, children. It's not a choice. Mommy and daddy know, like, like, you shouldn't give your kids the choice on what to eat. You want them to eat healthy. I know, I know, this is a horrible analogy in this day and age, right? Yeah, because Mandy and I blew it in that area. <laughs> but where we didn't blow it was cramming this down their throats. We've got to get back to a hunger for the word of God. And in order to advance to the second step, that student would have to memorize the entire Torah, five books, 187 chapters, 5,852 verses, 156,058 words memorized. 
Those that did, the star students, few and far between, they were, they were then advanced to the next level called Bet Midrash. Bet Midrash happened from ages 13 to 15. They would continue studying and memorizing the rest of the Old Testament, not just the law, but also the books of the prophets, 39 books. And, and, and the, the first century Jewish historian Josephus, he said, above all else, we pride ourselves in the education of our children. This was a big deal. In order for their society to last, in order for them to, to, to succeed, they knew they had to educate their children with the word of God. The final level, if they made it past that, the final level, level was called Bet Talmud, which was the longest in duration. And it lasted, get this, it lasted from age 15 to age 30. It, really? It just went over your head like that? How old was Jesus when he started his ministry? 30. From age, ages 15 to 30, they would go through Bet Talmud. And, and during this time, the student would learn to emulate their rabbi. They were selected, chosen by a rabbi. Jesus wasn't the only one that had, had disciples. They were selected by their rabbi, and they would eat what their rabbi ate. They would go where their rabbi went. They would study the scriptures the same way that their rabbi studied the scriptures. They would take upon the yoke of the rabbi, his interpretation of the, of the Old Testament scriptures. They would take that yoke upon them. And, and this was a time of intense discipleship. And understand, church, that the, the, the journey to the cross, it involved a young Jesus learning to become disciplined in his walk, disciplined in his beliefs. And, and, and I need to explain this to you. This is not in the Bible. I think there are some passages that point to this, but, but you cannot, this is not clearly defined in God's word. So don't, don't, don't quote me on this, okay? But many scholars believe that Jesus was a disciple of his cousin, John the Baptist. This would make sense. He would have to be someone's disciple. He would have to follow some rabbi. And, and many scholars believe that it was, it was John the Baptist, which would make sense for when he, when, because he came to John for his ordination service, which we're going to read about in Matthew chapter 3 in just a moment. He came to his cousin John for his ordination service. In order to become a certified, licensed, card-holding rabbi, Jesus would have to have the approval of two rabbis. It, the scripture says time and time again that it's out of the mouths of two witnesses that something is established, that truth is established. He would have to have the approval of two rabbis in order for him to become a rabbi. He would have to be set forth by two rabbis. And, and, and two people will have to speak and validate him into ministry. Matthew chapter 3 Verses 13 through 17, and then in a few moments, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 4, so you can just hold your Bible or digital device open. Matthew three thirteen. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Listen, this is important. He knows he's, he's about to become a rabbi. And, and John's going to have to put his stamp of approval on this, okay? Then he consented. Verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And there you have it, church. It happens right there. Not one, 
but two voices giving their approval for Jesus to begin his ministry. The first one being his, his brother, rabbi, preacher, teacher, cousin, Rabbi John. That's the first one. Matter of fact, when Jesus comes walking up, he, 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 before he baptizes him, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then he baptizes him, gives his stamp of approval. When he comes up out of the water, there is a voice from heaven that says, This is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. People were there. People heard it. I'm sure it, it captivated so many. No one could deny it. And, 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 and now he had the approval of his heavenly father also. Now listen to me. Listen to me. Let's, let's get down to where this touches us. Is that not what we're looking for? I mean, we want the approval of our Heavenly Father. That's what we want. We want to live our lives in such a way that we have the approval. We, we, we need to endure the time of preparation just to hear God set us forth into our calling. We want to hear, well done, this is my son, this is my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. Now, every child wants the approval of their father. I've been in ministry for 25 plus years. I know this. Every child wants the approval of their father. There, there's a, a story of a Spanish father and son who had become estranged, and, and the son ran away. It was, it was horrible circumstances, and unfortunately, the son ran away, and the father set out to find him. He wanted to, to find his son. He, he wanted to make things right. And, and he searched for months for his son to no avail, could not find him. And, and finally, in this last-ditch effort, the father put a, a, an ad in a Madrid newspaper, and here's what the ad said. Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. On that Saturday, 800 Pacos showed up looking for forgiveness and love from their father. Why? Because we all want that acceptance. We all want that approval. We all want that. That's what we're longing for. I want it. You want it. We all want it. It's this human desire to receive love and to receive acceptance. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is about to speak to someone's life right now. Hear me out. Before the, the Father let Jesus fulfill his purpose, he gave him his approval. He said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You didn't know it, but when you left your house this morning, you came here today looking for your heavenly Father's approval. You want it, you need it, you've got to have it. And, 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 and as a child of God, you need to hear me. God is proud of you. Understand. God is proud of you. You can't do anything else to make God more proud of you. If you are a child of God, if you've accepted a relationship with Jesus Christ, I promise you, God is proud of you. Your heavenly Father, he looks at you and says, this is my son, this is my daughter. I am well pleased with them. Before Jesus had performed one miracle, God was already approving him. He has not performed a miracle yet, but God said, this is my son, I am well pleased with him. It had nothing to do with his achievement it had everything to do with his affiliation he was and is the son of God and he says this is my son so so somebody needs to hear this stop trying to earn God's approval with your actions and start acting like you are a child of the king 
That's where you need to develop that mentality because it's the God's honest truth. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of the king. And it's time that we start acting like it. Jesus heard the father's voice from heaven and he knew who he was. And once you recognize who you are in Jesus, you'll stop trying to gain the approval of everyone else. I learned a long time ago, I'm done pleasing everyone else. But maybe, maybe that's why I'm preaching the way I am these days. I don't know. I, I really don't care if I please you. I'm more concerned with pleasing him. And I want to make sure that, that, that I'm not striving for the approval of, of man. I, I don't need the approval of, of humanity. But, but Jesus, he didn't need society's approval because he already had the approval of heaven. He had not performed a miracle yet. But God said, I am already pleased with you. God is already pleased with you. But the very next verse gets extremely interesting, and it's a verse that you don't want me to read and you don't want to accept. But it's truth, and here's what happened. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Wait, what? Anyone ever been tempted by the devil? Did you ever think that God may have led you there? It's like, what? Wait. You remember Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray? They said, tell, tell us, how do we pray? And in his prayer, he told them, he said, you should pray, lead me not into temptation. He didn't say, God's not going to. He said, you should pray that. He, I've been there, I've done that. You should pray, lead me not into temptation. But, but scripture is very plain right here that sometimes you might be led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and God may have orchestrated the whole trip. Verse 2, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came. He was hungry, and then the tempter came. Notice, the tempter didn't show up on day one of the fast because you're still pretty full. Like You can survive day one. That's not a problem. The tempter waited until 40 days and 40 nights when you're at your weakest. How many of you know? You've been, some of you have been there before. You're at your weakest, and that's when Satan shows up. Because that's when you're the most vulnerable. And there better be a, found, a spiritual foundation within you at moments like that that you can withstand against the, 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 the darts of the devil. You've got to be able to defend yourself against it. We're going to get there. We're not there yet, but I promise you, we're going to get you there today. Now, it's inter interesting to me, church, that when Jesus was first born, he had an enemy. There was already someone out to destroy him. King Herod, he, he set out to abort all two-year-olds and under, all male two-year-olds and under in the vicinity of Bethlehem and that surrounding area. And all of that was based off the wise men. When the wise men who had been following a star in the heavens showed up to, to uh, uh, Jerusalem, they, they get there and, and they inquire of the king. They're like, hey, where, where's this, this child? We've been reading the heavens and there's, there's the king of the Jews is being born. And where's this guy at? And they have to, to bring in some others and, and, and start reading Old Testament scripture. And, and, there, and there's some prophecies there that was pointing to Bethlehem. And, and, and so he said, well, how long have you been following this star? They said, well, we've been following the star for two years. When the wise men who were warned not to go back, the, God, the Spirit of God warned them not to go back to, to uh, King Herod. 
When they didn't return, he said, well, I know this is somewhere happening somewhere around Bethlehem. He said, I'm just going to have all of the male babies to and under killed. So Jesus had an, an enemy right at his birth and, and for like the first two years. He had an enemy. This is why Joseph had to take Mary and, and Jesus to Egypt until King Herod died. They had to go into exile. They had to go, and, 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 and Joseph, thankfully, Joseph listened to the Spirit of God, give him the warning, and, and he took them to Egypt until King Herod died. But for 18 years, we hear of no one opposing Jesus. He had no enemies. We, no, we don't know of anyone that was out to kill him. Uh, it's like, like, all of a sudden, like we don't hear anything. Someone wanted to kill him when he was first born, and I don't blame Satan. Because when the Son of God is born, when the Messiah is born, that's, that's a big deal. Satan tried to destroy him then. But, but, but you know, sometimes when you see a lack of action, when you don't see a lot of stuff happening, there's no miracles taking place, sometimes Satan will just leave you alone for a little while. I just picture it. Probably for around those, those 18 years from 12 to 30, Satan just says, well, he's probably not a threat to me. Maybe I got this one wrong. And, and, and now at the age of 30... In our text today, we're, we see the tempter, we see the devil, we see Satan show up. Satan himself shows up and he tries to derail his life as a Messiah with three temptations. Now here's what this tells me, church. Listen to me. This tells me that during our quiet and insignificant years, when we don't think anyone's watching, when we don't think anyone is paying attention, when we are not even sure God is watching our life, during those insignificant years, that's when Satan does not view us as a threat. But when we step into our calling, get ready because all hell can break loose and often does and, and he will throw everything at you because he does not want you to fulfill what God has called you to do. Why is it that Jesus didn't have an enemy for all those years? Because in Satan's mind, there was nothing happening. Don't start thinking like Satan on your life. When, when, when you just... just you feel like nothing's happening. There, there's no doors opening. There, I'm not walking in my calling. We covered this last week some, but, but when you just think like your life is insignificant, don't you buy into the lies that Satan believes about you. You understand it is a season of preparation. And right after Jesus was baptized and received the Father's approval, confirmed as a rabbi, the Spirit of God immediately drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, when you hear the confrontation from heaven, you must be ready at that moment to face the, con the confrontation of hell. It's going to happen. Church, listen to me. As a child of God, I'm telling you, you're not done. You haven't had your last battle with Satan yet. It's going to happen. But I've read the end of the book, and I know who wins this, okay? So stay, stay faithful. Stay faithful. We're going to be okay. And some of you have been wondering, at times in your life, you wonder, why am I under attack? You're disciplined, you've been faithful, and, and, and it seems as if you should be exempt from the enemy and should be exempt from his attacks. And it, it, it's not because you're, you're getting it all wrong. I, I, I've said this for years, I'll continue saying it, but if, if Satan's not fighting you, you're not worth fighting. If Satan's not fighting you, you should probably question What's going on? What, what's wrong with me right now? Why wouldn't the enemy come at you? When you start stepping into your calling, he's going to release a war on you. Let me show you. We see it in the Old Testament, Job 1 and 1. It says that there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man, listen to the description. That man was blameless, 
an upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. This was a good man, but if you know the story, you know that heaven's approval of Job put a target on his back. And the enemy came at him from every angle trying to destroy that man. And, and, and he lost so much in his life. His, his children, his land, his livestock, his health, so much. But God just kept, he said, you, 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 you can go after him, but Satan, I will not let you kill him. You cannot kill him. And, and, and we know the restoration story at the end of that and how God restored back to him everything twofold. But, but when heaven confirms you, church, understand hell is ready to confirm front you. Why? Because it's at that moment that you are primed and ready to fulfill your destiny. Some of you are going through a battle right now because you're standing on the threshold of your destiny and God is ready to use you in great ways, but you've got to get through this battle right now. The baptism of Jesus was one of the most prolific and significant events of his journey. And I'm, I'm afraid that sometimes we just, just discredit it. Like we read through it, we know it happened, but we don't understand the significance of it. It's one of the only events in the Bible where the Trinity shows up all together. You've got God the Father, you've got God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all in the same place at the same time. If the three most important beings in the universe show up for a baptismal service, you better pay attention. You better, you better something special is about to happen. The waters are going to part, something, water's going to turn to wine, something's going to happen in that moment if all three show up at the same time. The son is, is there. He's about to start his ministry. The Holy Spirit descended like a dove and God the Father speaks the word over him, which is what I want to talk to you about as, I, as, as we kind of near the end of this thing here, okay? I'm not, I'm not close to being done, but this is the last part I need to talk to you about. I'm just going to make it long. I want to read something out of Ephesians to you and some of you are going to, you're going to think that I'm talking about marriage and I'm not. I'm not. It's, it's the analogy that God uses as he describes his relationship with us. So listen to this. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 and 26. Husbands, love your wives. Here it is. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her, the church, by the washing of water, with the word. You don't get it yet, but you're about to. He sanctified us, cleansed us by the washing of water with the word. Every time that you hear the word of God, it clarifies God's direction for your life. It'll clean up. It'll sanctify. It, 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 it will begin to cleanse. It's the washing of the water with the word. It's what happens. Every time you hear the word of God taught, every time you read the word of God, every time you partake of the word of God, the bread of life, every time it, it has the ability to, to, to begin, to begin uh, just simplifying and, and, and bringing your life into focus. You see, Jesus, even though we don't read about it, Jesus was prepared in the synagogue. 18 plus years. That probably actually started when he was six years old. All the way to age 30. Even working bivocational. He was being prepared in the synagogue, but he was approved at the Jordan River. And too many of us have a misunderstanding of what the wilderness 
does to your life. And, and, and let me explain this to you. The wilderness does not prepare you. Some of you are in your wilderness right now, and, and, and the reason why you're losing is because you think, well, what is God preparing me for? That's not where you're prepared. The wilderness is a place of testing. Jesus went into the wilderness as a place of testing, not a place of preparation. All of those years before, all those quiet years, when he, his life seemed insignificant, not even worth writing about, when, when no one else was paying attention, not even Satan himself was paying attention, he was using that as a time of preparation and he was being washed in the water with the word. The word of God was being poured into him. But the wilderness is meant to test you. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That is Deuteronomy 8 and 3. Jesus answers Satan with his temptation. He answers Satan with Deuteronomy 8 and 3, verses that he had memorized before he was even 12 years old. He had memorized those verses. Now listen, I'm just telling you right now. I'm, I'm getting hungry. I know that we have our potluck party after this service, and I'm looking forward to that. My stomach's growling a little bit up here. Thank God the microphone's not down here. I'm getting hungry. If Satan, this is, this is Rocky, after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, if Satan walks up to me and says, why don't you turn those stones to bread, I'm afraid I'm going to turn those stones into Olive Garden breadsticks. <laughs> or Jen McElroy's homemade bread. That stuff's amazing. I, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm afraid Rocky might be too weak in that moment right there. Jesus he was empowered. He had been washed in the word already. He got into that testing situation and he quotes Deuteronomy 8 and 3, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Listen, God has already said it. It is already right here. This is the word of God and it has to be poured out over us and we need to be washed with it. But it didn't stop because how many of you know Satan doesn't stop, right? Like Satan keeps on. He's an agitator. He just keeps on. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. Whoa, whoa, what? Satan quotes scripture too? Satan's about to quote scripture. I don't know about you. I've met some devils in my life that know how to quote scripture too, but we'll just leave that right there. He quotes Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. Satan says, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. I, I, I know it seems unorthodox. I know some of you think, well, what, what is that about? What? Satan knows scripture. He also knows that, that he wants us to fully depend on him and not depend on God. Jesus answers him in verse 7. Jesus said to him, Deuteronomy 6 and 16, Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So he, he, he combats him with scripture. He says, okay, I'll see your scripture and I'll raise you one. Then you get to verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I'll give you if you fall down and worship me. Now we got to the heart of the matter. This is what Satan really wants. Not just from Christ, he wants it from you. He wants it from me. If you remember, Satan... 
was an angel designed to lead worship in heaven. Musical instruments built within him, just like us. He had the string instruments. We have our vocal cords. He had percussion. We have our hands. We, we have musical instruments built within us. His job was to stand before heaven's host and, and stand there and reflect the glory of God. His cloak, the Bible describes it as having rhinestones all over it that would reflect the glory of God. As God's greatness was shining, as his glory was shining, Satan was to lead heaven in worship and reflect that glory. The problem came when he wanted the glory for himself. He wanted to be God. And when you, when you shed that robe and you want to start receiving that glory, that's when God says, no, I've had enough of that. And he takes Satan and a third of the angels that were with him and he kicks them out of heaven. Now we find him here. We find him here. And he says to Jesus, he says, all these things I'll give to you, all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said, I'll give you all of these if you bow down and worship me. But then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, and he quotes Deuteronomy 6 and 13, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Man, what a sight that must have been. When he rebuked the devil with the word of God, because he had been washed in the word of God, and it was at that moment that the angels came to minister to him. Somebody's about to get delivered right now. Somebody is about to... You're, you, you, the angels of heaven are about to minister to you because you've been fighting this battle and you didn't know how to fight it. But I'm letting you know you combat Satan with the word of God. It's the reason why God's people are so biblically illiterate is because Satan knows that if he can stop this from getting, if, we, if he can stop us from being washed in the word, he can defeat us. But if we'll get hungry for the word of God again, we will defeat him every time. He cannot stand to the word of God. Now, remember this. Jesus had memorized the law before the age of 12. Then he committed himself to memorizing the prophets. And the word that was in him was the weapon that would sustain him. That didn't happen in the wilderness. It happened for, for 18 plus years before the wilderness. He was prepared for, for that temptation. Here's how it works, church. Listen to me. On Sunday, you get the word in you. But on Monday, the word has to come out of you. On Sunday, you get the word from heaven, but on Tuesday, you have to face the wilderness of hell. On Sunday, you get heaven's confirmation, but on Wednesday, you have to go to work and face hell's confrontation. That's the way that it works, but don't fret. Don't fret. Don't worry about this, church. He has washed you with his word to prepare you for these moments. He's given you all the ammunition that you need. All you've got to do is allow him to continue to wash you with his word. If you and your spouse might be fighting. Maybe that's it. You fought on the way to church, didn't you? I knew it. I knew it. You fought on the way to church. You're not seeing eye to eye. You think it's you and your wife going head to head right now. But, but scripture tells us that my battle is not against flesh and blood. You see, when I come to that understanding and I allow the word of God to wash me, then I have that understanding that I'm not battling man and Mandy's not battling me. We're, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but there are, there's spiritual wickedness that is trying to come between us, trying to drive us apart. And when I'm washed in the word, I recognize that. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe they're falling apart. Maybe they have fallen apart. And, and, and what you need 
is you need the word of God to remind you that my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. When the car breaks down and you think, man, God, why are you doing this to me? Why? What? What? You'll understand when you've been washed in the word that the scripture says that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that I may have life and have it more abundantly. That's the word of God. Maybe like Christ, you're facing temptation today. Well, the scripture says when I am tempted, God will provide a way out so that I can endure it. Maybe it's an attack against your health. Maybe your health is falling apart right now and, and you don't know how you're going to get through this. Be reminded that by his stripes, I am am healed. By his stripes, I am healed. You see, when we are washed in the word, we can combat Satan every time. Can, can I get real for a second? Some of you are not going to like me. I don't care anymore. I'm just telling you. I don't know if, I, if it's my age. I don't know. Y'all may want a younger pastor soon. I don't know. I've just got to this place. But, but parents, you need to hear me out. You can't devalue Sunday worship and expect to overcome on Monday morning. Everybody in the room needs to hear it. You cannot devalue this and then expect to be an overcomer on Monday. You can't neglect the washing of water with the word and defeat the hounds of hell next week. You can't. You, can't. you and your family need God's word today more than you've ever needed it before. More than you've ever needed it, you need it. Parents, listen to me. I'm on my soapbox, and, and I'm probably, probably going to stay here until the end of this, okay? But you need to hear me. Your family needs the Word of God more than anything else that you have going on in your life right now. And I'm not against extracurricular activities. I promise you, we have done our fair share of soccer, basketball, talent contests, pageants. I'm not against it. I promise you I'm not. But don't expect your children to fall in love with Jesus when you've set travel ball up as an idol. Don't expect your children to make godly decisions with their lives when you won't show up to his house because you stayed out too late the night before. Because what you're telling your kids is staying out, partying. You don't even have to be partying. It's just hanging out with friends and family. Staying out too late and we can't get our butts up and get to church, you're telling them, I value that over coming to God's house. Uh, let, me, let me just paint it to you like this. If you want to know me, if you really want to know me, some of you think you know me. I know you do. And I try to be transparent. I do. But if you want to know me, know me, you need to come to my house. Invited, not uninvited. Like, don't just show up. We have a ring. I'm not answering, okay? I'm not going to the door. But if you, if you want to know somebody, you need to go, go to their house and you need to hang out with them. You need to get to know them. You, you, when, when Mariah and Caleb started dating, we had, she was a, you know, they were high school students. And when they started dating, now Mariah had access to our house. I mean, she was in our living room a lot, coming to our house and and. and now she would get to see the real Pastor Rocky and the real Miss Mandy. She had access in. Now, and, and, and I hope and pray that, that hopefully we're kind of the same. And she did, but, but now she knew. She knew when Mandy and I were upset with each other. She knew when me and my kids were disagreeing. 
Bless her heart, Mariah saw me and Kendall disagree more times than what she probably cares to. When, when Kendall and Tristan started dating, same thing, same thing. Now he has, has access to our house. He's in our living room. He sees who we really are. Access to my home. If you want to know who God really is, show up at his house. Because that's where you'll get to know God. Because it's here, church, where he speaks over us and he washes us with his word. This is where it happens here. You see, Jesus couldn't get to the cross without the word of God being spoken over him and stored in him. And it didn't start in the wilderness. Because he didn't have a scroll. He didn't have a Bible. He didn't have any printed material with him. He didn't have his iPhone to look it up on. He just had what was, maybe that's why the psalmist said, let me, let me hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He had already been prepared in synagogue. He had already been prepared, and when he got to the testing place, it was there that what was inside of him could come out. You are empowered by the word, of, by the word that God speaks over you. You're empowered by that because the word that he speaks over you, it gets in you. And the word that's in you has to come out of you when you're in the wilderness. Survive the wilderness, and now God can use you. Now God can use you. Let me... The first service, I, I, God just showed me a completely different direction to go, and, and I, I'm going to take the liberty to, to go that direction again. This Bible was given to me In December of 2021, as my first group of MDP students were graduating, at our last session together, they gave me this Bible and a Nike gift card. And I was so thankful for the Nike gift card. <laughs> no, no. I kept this Bible in the box for almost a year. Because I knew what God was calling me to do with this Bible. Some of you may have noticed, but in recent months, I've retired another Bible. It was, it was my favorite Bible, one that Mandy gave me, and it's calfskin. I, I love the feel of it. I've got a lot of notes in it. I'm, I'm on, and through the years of ministry, I'm on about my fourth Bible because I like to, to start over sometimes just because I don't, I don't want to become repetitious. I want new revelation. And so I, but, but God spoke to me. And I pulled this Bible out of the box on October 31st, 2022, this past October. And I highlighted this scripture. 1 Samuel 1, verse 27. For this child I prayed and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. And I wrote in the margin here, 1031-22, Knox Anders McKinley because it was the day that my grandson was born. And my goal is to preach from this Bible and to mark it up and to highlight it to write in the margins the things that I believe God is speaking, the things God reveals to me, His truths that He continues to reveal to me. Because one day, 
I want to hand this Bible to my grandson. And I'm praying, God, give him the hunger for God's word that I have and even beyond. God, give him a hunger to hide these words in his heart that he might not sin against God. God, give him a hunger to make this a lamp unto his feet and a light unto his path. We've got to get hungry for the word of God again, church. You hear me, hear me, everyone hear me. I don't apologize for who we are as a church, the style of worship. I don't apologize for video screens and, and lights and haze and subwoofers and all. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't apologize for any of that. It enhances a worship experience. I like concerts. When I can get here and take some of the stuff that was probably designed for the devil. We turn it around for good. Hey, let's do it. Whatever. Wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous, right? Whatever, whatever. But church, listen to me. None of this matters. None of this. This building, the seats you're in, the carpet, none of this matters. But this will last forever. This has stood the test of time. It will continue. And Satan cannot defeat it. So why don't God's people get hungry for this again? Every wilderness experience I've ever gone through, it is the Word of God that has brought me through it victorious. I cannot and I refuse to go through life without knowing the word of God and every time I think I've got it figured out he shows me something new because it's a living word I want you to hear me there's people in this room that right now it's, it's like I don't get it I don't, I don't understand what the big deal is it's because the preaching of the cross is foolishness to the unbeliever I need to explain this to you the Word, according to John chapter 1, became flesh. The Word became us. And He prepared Himself in synagogue. It was part of the path so that He could withstand the temptation, get past the test with the Word. And the word went all the way to the cross to die a criminal's death to be the sacrificial lamb that according to Old Testament law had to happen for the redemption of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there's no redemption for sin. It had to happen. And it was either going to be me or him. It was either going to be you or him. And he said, I'll pay the price. The word became flesh. The word became flesh. You want to know why I love the word of God? It's because the Word of God loved me. But he didn't stay dead. He was resurrected to give those that believe everlasting life. 
I buried one of my good friends yesterday, colleague in ministry for the past 25 years. And I am certain that on that great reunion day, I will see him again. It's everlasting life. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.